Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's American Passages. I'm Dr. J. Today, I'll be reading from Frederick Douglass's Narrative of the Life of a Slave. The full title, in true 19th century fashion, is Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, written by himself. The full title is important for its last phrase, written by himself. When Douglass's narrative was published in 1845, during the full flourishing of slavery in the American South, literacy was denied those who were enslaved, both by law and by custom. Douglass, after a beginning by the wife of his owner, taught himself to read and write while still a child. In chapter 7 of the narrative, Douglas describes the process by which he learned to read and write, as well as the first consequences of reading. I want to read for you a portion of what he says about the consequences of reading, but first let me give a little background both about the book he reads and how he came by it. The Columbian Orator, an anthology of 84 speeches and dialogues, was a popular textbook in American classrooms in the first half of the 19th century, used to teach speaking skills. It included speeches made in classical Greece and Rome, and in the parliaments of England and Ireland, as well as in the halls of the United States Congress and other American public occasions. It also contains a few dialogues written specifically for the anthology. It was put together by the Boston educator Caleb Bingham, who was an advocate for schools for girls, for higher pay for teachers, and other progressive reforms. Douglas, being both black and a slave, wasn't allowed to go to school, and so when he heard his playmates reciting from the Columbian orator, he saved what money he could and bought a copy at a Baltimore bookstore for 50 cents. Only two of the Columbian Orator's 84 selections speak to the conditions of American slavery, but Douglas was interested in all of the selections. In the passage I've chosen from Douglas's narrative, Douglas speaks first of a dialogue between a slave and his master, and then of a speech on Catholic emancipation, that is, a speech demanding the civil rights denied to Irish Catholics by their English rulers. Let's listen. From The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, written by himself. I was now about 12 years old, and the thought of being a slave for life began to bear heavily upon my heart. Just about this time, I got hold of a book entitled The Columbian Orator. Every opportunity I got, I used to read this book. Among much of other interesting matter, I found in it a dialogue between a master and his slave. The slave was represented as having run away from his master three times. The dialogue represented the conversation which took place between them when the slave was retaken the third time. In this dialogue, 
The whole argument in behalf of slavery was brought forward by the master, all of which was disposed of by the slave. The slave was made to say some very smart as well as impressive things in reply to his master, things which had the desired though unexpected effect, for the conversation resulted in the voluntary emancipation of the slave on the part of the master. In the same book, I met with one of Sheridan's mighty speeches on and in behalf of Catholic emancipation. These were choice documents to me. I read them over and over again with unabated interest. They gave tongue to interesting thoughts in my own soul, which had frequently flashed through my mind, but died away for want of utterance. There is much in this short passage that is striking. First of all, Douglas's age. He is twelve. The white boys from whom he learned of the Columbian orator were scarcely older, if older at all. Yet this was a textbook they were using in their elocution classes. Even more remarkably, it was a textbook they were excited by, so much that they practiced speaking from it while playing together in the alleys where Douglas found them. These weren't boys from educated families with elite education. Douglas was able to bribe them to give him lessons by offering them bread, which he had more of than they, though he was a slave. I think we as educators today shy away from challenging our students to the degree they can be challenged. Douglas at 12 was weighed down by a thought, the thought that he would be a slave for life. He puts his reading of the Columbian orator in this context. We today, of course, don't want our children to be weighed down by thoughts, and certainly not by thoughts about their futures. But we shouldn't be surprised to find that some, perhaps many, perhaps all, in one way or another, are weighed down by thoughts of what their lives are going to be like. From the mass killings of children in American schools to talk of a scarcely habitable, scarcely human future, to realizing that they're different from their friends, not just now, but for life. Children today are perhaps burdened by unhappy thoughts of their futures like no others in history. Games and apps and other drugs can distract them from such thoughts for a time, but they might find, as Douglas did, that books, even those that distress them with the truth, provide the best basis for a better future. That a child realizing he is to be a slave for life would take an interest in a dialogue between a slave and his master that leads to the emancipation of the slave is hardly surprising. That he would take an interest in a speech on behalf of Catholic Ireland in its struggle with England is surprising. And not only that, but the words of Socrates in reply to the charge against him in ancient Athens of corrupting its youth and instilling in them dangerous ideas, speeches by the Roman orators Cato and Cicero against the traitor Catiline, a speech by Napoleon to his army, even George Washington's farewell address, in which he declared to the people of the United States 
that he would not stand for a third term as their president, a speech hardly addressed to those Americans then held in slavery, including over a hundred held by Washington himself. But all of these, Douglas declared, were choice documents to him, enlarging his understanding of the larger social world and his place in it, and giving him strong examples of persuasive eloquence. Even more, and this is what I most emphasized to my students when I taught this chapter from Douglas's narrative in my freshman composition classes, Douglas recounts that these documents gave tongue to interesting thoughts of my own soul, which had frequently flashed through my mind, but died away for want of utterance. My students resisted this, resisted the idea that there were thoughts they couldn't have or couldn't hold because they didn't have the words to think them and hold them. We usually think of words as what we use to communicate, not as what we use to think. But try thinking about this question without using words. Then ask, would I be able to think more if I had more words? The importance of education, the importance of books, becomes more apparent. If we don't want people to think certain thoughts, keep them from books where they might gain the vocabulary to think them. Thus slaves were forbidden to learn to read. Thus we battle today over what books young people should be allowed to read, what books should be in school libraries and public libraries. Young people might get dangerous ideas. To bring these thoughts closer to our own day, we can actually go a little further back. Before the Columbian Orator, Caleb Bingham had published a similar anthology, The American Preceptor, which was also a popular school textbook. The anonymous author of the Caleb Bingham entry in Wikipedia describes its contents thus. The American Preceptor is similar to the Columbian Orator in its content. Selections draw attention to the evils of slavery, the importance of clemency toward the unfortunate, including one's captive enemies, personal virtue and industry, religious tolerance, and the education of girls. Some stories recite the acts of a virtuous American Indian, African, Moor, or Catholic, or other person sometimes in contrast to a less virtuous white or Christian character. Bingham also takes aim at characters who care more about fashion, entertainments, or lapdogs than about honest labor, solid education, and duties within the household. This textbook, too, was widely used in American schools in the first century of the existence of the United States of America, could it be so widely used today? It includes stories in which marginalized peoples, African Americans, Native Americans, Muslims, are portrayed as virtuous, and white Christians are portrayed as not. Social injustices are highlighted and criticized. There are battles in schools across America today about whether modern equivalents of this should or even can be used in classrooms, 
whether such books belong on the shelves of school libraries or community libraries. One of the most remarkable things about the Columbian Orator isn't that it was used in classrooms for children so young, but that it was used in classrooms in Baltimore at all in the 1830s. Slavery was both legal and practiced in Baltimore then, as we know from Douglas being a slave there. Yet the Columbian Orator, which called into question the moral foundation of slavery, was used in its schools. Douglas, not allowed to go to school, was able to buy it in a bookstore. If he'd had a library card, he could have checked a copy out. Yet books today are being excluded from classrooms, school libraries, and community libraries, and not just books reaching their hands out to young people who feel themselves different sexually, but even books that speak of the evils of slavery that might make a white student feel bad. But I don't want to just criticize social and religious conservatives. Both the Columbian Orator and the American Preceptor include selections from the classics of Western culture, the dead white males, selections praising hard work and moral propriety, selections praising Christian virtues. Would today's progressive liberals accept such selections in today's classrooms? Maybe if also included were selections praising Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. But then we're back to the objections of conservatives. Everybody has books they want included and books they don't want included. Well, not everybody. The librarians I know, both in school libraries and community libraries, want on their shelves the whole range of books for young and old alike to find and read on their own, as Douglas found the Columbian orator and read it on his own. Maybe some readers will find words to give tongue to the thoughts of their souls that otherwise flicker out. Maybe some will be able to envision a better world where they too can flourish, even a world where we all can flourish. God knows we need such new visions. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.